Welcome to the Politics and Public Finance Podcast, in-depth conversations that bring unique insights into the nexus between how governments manage our finances and the work of elective representative bodies such as parliaments. You're listening to Politics and Public Finance Podcast with Jeff Dubrow. Welcome to Politics and Public Finance. I'm here with uh, the Honorable Sean Murphy, a former M- a member of Parliament and chair of the Standing Committee on Public Accounts of the House of Commons Canada, and Carol Bellringer, who is the President and CEO of the Canadian Audit and Accountability Foundation, and the former Auditor General of the provinces of British Columbia and Manitoba. Uh, we've got some great uh, great segments today on the, uh, on the show. Um, we're we're going to be talking about combating sexual uh, harassment in the military, uh, which obviously has been an ongoing problem in Canada. There was a report, as you would know, there was a report that was released last week uh, by uh, Justice Arbour on this subject. And we're going to be talking about whether parliamentary oversight can, can actually make a difference. Um, then we're going to sort of continue with that parliamentary oversight theme and look at the results of the Open Budget Survey, which is a survey of 120 countries from around the world and how they performed on the budget. Uh, not only on the, the approval of the budget, but through the entire budget process. And the, the problem is that this year was that Canada's score was absolutely abysmal. And we're going to look into why that was that Canada has slipped so low on the uh, open budget survey. Uh, so we'll be talking to uh, Professor Marie-Soleil Tremblay from the uh, École Nationale d'Administration Publique, the uh, University of Public Administration, to find out, and she actually did the compiling of the results uh, for Canada to find out why Canada's score was was so poor. Welcome to you both. Great to be here. So today we're going to talk about uh, combating sexual, uh, systemic sexual harassment in the military and whether parliamentary oversight can make a difference. And I just want to start out with what I would consider a bit of a, a rant, which is to say that um, I wrote an article or a briefing paper for the Westminster Foundation for Democracy a couple of years ago talking about public accounts committees, which of course, you don't need me to tell you, uh, are committees that look at the reports of the Auditor General committees and the legislatures and parliaments that look at the reports of the Auditor General. And I was saying that, um, you know, bearing in mind that I also work on this topic internationally, um, one of the things that I said was that that uh, public accounts committees need to go beyond the the sort of typical partisan back and forth and start looking at systemic issues like the implementation of the uh, sustainable development goals, for example, um, or climate change plans or, or national priorities in which all parties can try to get on board. Yes, that's a little idealistic. I totally admit that. But I think in the case of systemic sexual harassment in the military, the question really is, there was a report released by uh, Justice Arbor uh, last week, uh, can Parliament play more of a role in, in, in overseeing uh, the implementation of the recommendations that came out of her report. Um, we saw uh, the Deshaun report released in 2015 with uh, very few recommendations implemented. So is there a, a role for Parliament in, in, in ensuring that the, the, these recommendations get implemented? Sean Murphy, former chair of the Standing Committee on Public Accounts, let's start with you. Yes, I, I think, Jeff, there's a major, major role for Parliament to play in this, uh, in this whole issue. If you read the, uh, not only this report, but some of the previous reports that have been issued, really there's two, uh, there's two overarching issues that have to be addressed. And one is transparency, and the second one is uh, civil oversight. And I know they're, they're put in place uh, 
another mechanism as part of the Arbor report, but really the you can, can't replace Parliament, and it's really got to be the accountability has to be to Parliament. Now, whether that's the Public Accounts Committee or perhaps it might better be rested with in the long term with the Standing Committee on Defense. Uh, but these recommendations, the 48 recommendations, 17 of which the minister has uh, said that she will be moving on immediately, I believe, in my opinion, how it should be handled, that the Standing Committee on Defense really should be having probably meetings every three or four months with the minister, the, the chief of staff, of, and also the deputy minister of defense. Have them all there and just what, how will they get along with this, uh, with this report? It's a major report. It's, it's, uh, it's very striking. So that we want follow-up and they want oversight by parliament. It's extremely important. And that's probably one of the reasons why it fell down before, because perhaps they probably could have done a, a much more robust job. Uh, Carol, what about yourself? And, you know, maybe I'll just uh, step back for a second and explain a little bit more about the Public Accounts Committee um, and also the role of the Auditor General in that construct. Because, you know, it, it, I'm totally on side with everything that Sean just said. And, and in terms of the role of Parliament, it, it's critical. There is a huge structure already in place to make sure that there is accountability and transparency. So it only works if it's done right. <laughs> so you do end up with, with the Public Accounts Committee, the reports of the Auditor General are referred to that committee. And so if the Auditor General's looked at something, then the committee and the committee has, um, and through Sean's leadership and others who have chaired that committee, they've, they've um, develop the skills to know how to follow things up. They know how to deal with reports. They know how to uh, question witnesses. And they know how to find out from the Auditor General, what did you find and what would you see being improved? So taking that into this particular example, and I'm, you know, maybe we'll get into a little bit more about what already has gone to the Public Accounts Committee in that area. Right. But with the, the new report coming out, the Arbor Report, and the need for that follow-up, there is the, the skills are in place at the Public Accounts Committee. The construct is there for the Public Accounts Committee, but they do tend to focus on the Auditor General reports. Now, that's not necessarily a restriction anywhere else or in other places, but it and then at the federal parliament has tended to stay within that, but they could go a little further. So could it go there? Yes. Would it be effective because they have the right skills to do the follow-up? Yes. Is it the right subject matter area? There's other opportunities in other places, but what you may find in taking it to another committee, they wouldn't actually really have the experience and practice to take it to the, are we making sure that the recommendations are being followed up? So. It's a, a little bit of a, you know, my quick answer is um, it should go somewhere within Parliament. It should go within a committee. I love the idea of it going to the Public Council Committee because I think they really, they could do something with it. But it probably has to go somewhere else as well. So let's, let I'll just take one step back. And for those listeners who are not necessarily, we're sort of a little club of 
public accounts <laughs> committee groupies here, but um, for those who are not familiar, um, just to, just to say that a couple of things. First of all, um, so as Carol was saying, the public accounts committee um, typically looks at reports of the auditor general. In this particular case, when it comes to systemic sexual harassment, there actually was an audit done of inappropriate sexual behavior in the Canadian Armed Forces in 2018. And we'll definitely get, get back to that. Uh, as Sean mentioned, if, if there is not uh, an audit report, um, you know, that the, the public accounts committee probably will not touch it. Um, it, will, it will be something that another committee like the Defence Committee would be likely to touch. And I have put out some feelers to, to sitting MPs um, to, to get some understanding of where they might want to put the report and hopefully we'll be able to report back on that in the near future. So, but, but as Carol, you were saying that, um, that the challenge is there's a new culture in the Public Accounts Committee. And that culture is very much that they're used to uh, asking questions. Uh, it's not so much a legislative committee focused on passing legislation or, or examining legislation or examining government performance, but rather looking at systemic issues like this. I guess, um, why don't we just start with the Public Accounts Committee, because in this case, there was an audit uh, of inappropriate sexual behavior um, in the Canadian Armed Forces in 2018. It was examined by the Public Accounts Committee in February 19. Uh, the committee made a series of recommendations. Um, to many um, were designed to uh, report on the government's progress in reducing inappropriate sexual behavior. Um, Let's talk about how that went and whether the committee could could have done more. Um, Carol, I'll start with you on this because I think you've made some reference to the the, the work of the committee. So you know, it's a, a great question. Obviously, if things have continued to be a problem, then something could have done better. It's you know a little bit of the proof is in the pudding. So you end up with um, there was a report provided to the committee. The the uh, department uh, officials would have answered those questions. By the way, the Public Accounts Committee functions in a nonpartisan way. It's there to make sure that things get fixed. It's uh, it, it, it attempts to the best of its ability to stay away from partisan politics. It's not about the policies, it's about how well they were administered. So if there were problems that continued past the report, then I'd say it could, it, it could and should have gone further. Um, you know, and I, I can mention now, or we can get back to this, but one of the things that is, um, you, if you look within the structure, once the audit report's been done, the organization that's been audited goes back in and through its own either internal audit group or another mechanism, will go in and do their own follow-up so that they can figure out where things are going. And in this Good particular point. case, that 2018 report that you referred to that the Auditor General's office did, the Department of National Defense in two time frames, April and then December of 2020, went in and did an update themselves. Now, one of the things I throw out there is how things can improve. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I won't, I'll ask you to ask Sean, just I don't wanna take things out of order, but um, at the same time, I'm sure you've experienced times when a department comes before the committee and it sounds pretty good. It's like, yeah, we've done that. We're, you know, yeah, nothing here, like, you know, um, uh, and, and I suspect, and I didn't go through the full answer to see exactly what occurred at that meeting, but I suspect that there were indications from the ministry, they tend to say, 
um, yes, we agree with the recommendations and we're on it. So yeah. if that's the case, then it should have been it should have been delved into further to make sure that that was indeed the case. Over to you, Sean. Well, I, I think one of the primary functions of the Public Accounts Committee, and I should add there has been a lot of improvements over the last 15 years in this regard, is follow-up. Uh, because at one point in time, it was basically the, the uh, ministry come in with the deputy and they, there was a lot of aspirational promises made, not always, but in some cases, when you look back two years down the road, nothing was done. But <clears throat> the way it works now, and it's been a few years since I've been there, but the way it works is an action plan is filed by the department, uh, assuming that the recommendations have been agreed to by the department. And there really should be, and I believe they, they do a better job of following up. Perhaps they didn't in this case, to the extent they should have because of COVID and other, other reasons, but there has to be a follow-up done by the, by the by the committee staff. And if there's any uh, indication that there's slippage, then they call the people back before the committee to get an explanation. But that follow-up is so important and if it's not done, things can get off the rails very, very quickly. So, uh, no, there's a, uh, uh, they, and see the, this report, it's very important and she's done a tremendous job, but a lot of things have been said before. There's been numerous reports by Justice Fish, by Justice uh, Madame Deschamps, but internal reports, external reports. And, there is some repetition here. So the I think we're at a point where Parliament really has to take this very seriously. And I would suggest, as I previously stated, that it probably should be a very regular uh, report from the three, the three senior individuals uh, with our Defense Department before Parliament. Now, what committee it goes to that's another, that's a detail that can be worked out among themselves. But I would like to see that when the minister should be called right away because the report is just out there, she has publicly stated that she is immediately moving on 17 of the recommendations. Get her, the chief deputy, before parliament, but tell them at the meeting that they're coming and schedule it, that they're coming back in three months time and then six months time. I think that's what should happen because some of the previous reports that were issued, uh, and some of the, and you've got to be, some of these are major cultural changes that's not going to happen overnight. Uh, it's it's going to take work. Cultural changes in the operation of the committees, for example. No, um, cultural changes. In the military. military. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jeff, I, Jeff, can I jump in just sure. for a second? Well, just, you know, I mentioned those two updates that were done by the department, but the other one was in September 2020, the internal audit uh, group within Department of National Defense did an evaluation of diversity and inclusion. So, you know, what also, you, you talk about, you know, the audit report, so it looked at a broad sweep of issues, and then you look at the various other uh, 
reports that have been done since then and the most recent one and they're they're covering the waterfront you know so where do you start and you got to really deal deal with okay so what's the root cause of the problems that we're seeing the recurring problems they're not all fixed they're cultural in nature as you point out sean and it's a big shift within the within the department if you want to see change so they picked a particular area and delved into it in depth and diversity um, and inclusion and looking at it from that one lens. So, you know, each piece of the big picture is going to require some action within the ministry at a very detailed level on every single piece. And it's a lot of work. So, you know, you do get into it's easy to lose traction on change because you're putting in a lot of new practices and you're doing it at the depth of, of the culture of the organization. Totally agree with Sean that follow-up has to be regular, regular and frequent, and it also has to expect some movement, but be reasonable in terms of, of how it gets there without getting so prescriptive and so analyzed that like nothing happens because you can always show some improvement. So yeah, it's an, it's a, 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 I've seen many different uh, comp you know, com comparable situations where a, a big in-depth change is required and you've got a shelf just covered full of reports of how to do it. And, who, and, and you, I've even seen ministries where they end up hiring a whole unit within the ministry just to follow up the reports which isn't necessarily getting at the heart of the problem, which is we need to look at this from the holistic perspective of the entire ministry. It has to be bought into by, we talk about tone at the top, by the by the minister, by the deputy minister, or whatever other you know, senior senior officials. Yeah, this is fascinating stuff. And I think we, we all know that the practice of the public accounts committee at the federal level is something that we can, you know, that is exported abroad, that's shared abroad to other countries that share the Westminster uh, tradition, uh, that most low and middle income countries don't have strong internal audit functions. And we could certainly point to Canada as having, at the federal and in many cases, the provincial level, strong internal audit functions. Yet when it comes to systemic issues, and, and it's not just sexual discrimination, it, it's, it's uh, living conditions on, uh, on reserves, uh, it's it's uh, the, the conditions of um, uh, retirement homes uh, that we saw as we saw during the sort of the, during the, the COVID pandemic that these don't seem to make a dent that these that, that these these bodies and these these institutions don't seem to make a dent, um, which I think is a problem. I don't really have a question that follows that. Just a statement, <laughs> Sean. Did you want to add something? No, you're quite right. There is some issues, and, and of course. Uh, some of them uh, die in the altar of federal provincial negotiations and there's different reasons but yeah there, there is uh, there is issues that have been long standing uh, oil oil water advisories and indigenous reserves there's a, there's a whole list of them that, that could use improvement and uh, but you know in fairness and some of these issues are are being worked on and and you know it's uh, I believe in this situation that we're talking about, uh, we have uh, in place a minister that's got a, a reputation of getting things done and doing things. So I think uh, I think it, uh, it certainly shows it's a priority with the government. Yeah, um, and it's interesting though that uh, now Justice Arbor, of course, is not it's not her necessarily her role to prescribe how the government or our institutions are going to review the implementation of recommendations. Uh, 
But having said that, she did make a couple of recommendations that an independent monitor be appointed. But the only recommendation she made with respect to if Parliament was that uh, the, the minister should advise Parliament if, it, if, if the department plans not to introduce certain recommendations. Why do you think Parliament was so far from Justice Arbor's mind? We're talking as if there's a real role for Parliament. Why do you think that she didn't necessarily see that? Sean, I'll go back to you to start on that. Well, Parliament, uh, Parliament, uh, Parliament alone will decide its agenda, and this, uh, for any parliamentarian looking at this, this should be front and center on their own personal agenda, and this is something that uh, Parliament should uh, take ownership of. Uh, she may not have mentioned Parliament, but she certainly mentioned the whole area of civil oversight. Civil oversight not only in the operations, but civil oversight in the, in the investigations and of wrongdoing. So that, to me, strikes at the very heart of Parliament. So Parliament really has an obligation, in my view, to jump right in here and to uh, provide the necessary, because they're the interface between the, the to public, to, to the House of Commons, and of course, through the House of Commons, to the public. And there's no greater oversight body than Parliament. I know she did mention this external, uh, uh, what's, I forget the name they call it, but that that's not going to displace Parliament. External <clears throat> monitor, external reviewer. External monitor, yes. Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. What would need to change, for example, within the Defence Committee? Um, because the Defence Committee is not set up like the Public Accounts Committee. No other committee of Parliament is set up like the Defence, like like the Public Accounts Committee. What would need to change within the Defence Committee for them to be able to systemically, on a long-term basis, monitor the implementation of recommendations from Justice Arbor's report? Well, perhaps I'll take a crack at it and turn it over to Carol. But my my opinion would be a, a very systemic uh, look at this, and the worst thing they can do is have a hearing with the minister and the chief and the deputy write a few recommendations and forget about it. I think it has to be it has to be a continuum and the, they have to be scheduled meetings every three months, four months over the next two years. Uh, it's a serious issue. It's an issue that that has been reported on by many individuals previously and uh, it is a cultural issue and the military it's it's insular and we have we have a great we can in this conversation we can't move say we have a great military but there is issues that have to be resolved and uh, perhaps they haven't they haven't kept up with the values of a that we we see in a progressive and pluralistic society and uh Things have changed, so that culture has to change. And it's not going to be done overnight. It's not going to be done by next Friday. No. It's going to take time, but that time has to be very, very rigidly monitored and followed up. And if it's not, things slip. The military will get busy. There will be another engagement. There will be another uh, outbreak somewhere in the world. And focus will disappear, not disappear, but it will lessen. So the only way really, if Parliament is not involved, uh, I can see the probability of uh, 
substantive change not being made or not being made as quick as it should. Carol, what are your views on that? So, yeah, I mean, you know, you, when you get around to, Parliament has a, an absolute, um, well, it has an obligation, let alone just a role. I mean, it has an obligation to make sure that the improvements take place and the mechanism they use, you know, it'll, it, it, could, it could vary. Um, the idea of an independent monitor, um, I, I wonder what that looks like in the end, because, you know, when you think about, when you think about some of the issues that have arisen across Canada where either an independent office was set up, so it can be an office of parliament like the Auditor General's office, I mean, there's, there's ombuds people across the country. There are um, advocates for uh, child welfare. There are senior advocates and so on. And it's like a, where something is so systemic that it requires that, that kind of devoted attention, but it's outside of the organization. So, you know, when I keep looking at this particular situation, you say, okay, well, first, you know, we're talking about uh, ministry. So it has its own structure and it has its own internal mechanisms to make the change happen. And that's where the, the there has to be political will to make the change. I did see we had some um, situations going on in uh, British Columbia that um, required structural change. We did an audit of it. It was uh, it was in the mining sector. So you end up, you know, it's a it's a, a, a big ministry, and it but it needed some structural changes that start a border line, border on policy. So you know you end up with you know is the structure change a policy change, and then the public accounts committee stops on the line of policy. Like it's not there. They're, they're looking at how well something's been administered. And in the case of something very significant that needs to change, there may indeed be a policy component to it as well. And the government and the minister are really gonna drive that charge. Um, so so back to, but you know, is par does parliament have a role? Absolutely. Um, and I guess that's where I separate, you know, we talked at, a, at one point about should it be in the public counts committee or another committee and agreed it'll be parliament to decide how they, what mechanism they put in place. But from the administration perspective, absolutely it should be public accounts committee. But there's a policy component to it potentially because you may have to do some restructuring and do something quite different and then parliament can step in in a different way. We need to wrap up in a couple of minutes, but I think, Carol, you, you've raised a, uh, a recommendation which could come out of this uh, discussion, which is really that, you know, one of the problems with Parliament, you know, why didn't the Public Accounts Committee hold a follow-up hearing since 2019? Well, there's been successive eroding governments, there's been prorogations, so Parliament is, is not functioning on a uh, regular, I mean, it functions, but, you know, obviously during prorogation and during elections, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, um, either suspended or dissolved and, and you've got new members of the public accounts committee. Uh, the staff can continue to do some work, but they're not going to be overly proactive because they take direction from the committee. Does there need to be some kind of agency or does one of the officers of parliament need to be tasked with regular follow-up on systemic recommendations that go beyond the Auditor General's report? Is that what's really missing in the system? Sean, I'll let you have the last word on that if you want to comment on that. Well, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily recommend another agency or person. I believe the the uh, there might be some extenuating circumstances here with COVID, with the election, two elections, with the prorogation and everything else which you've mentioned. But the the Public Accounts Committee should be able to follow up on its own recommendations. 
and they have staff and they and I, and I believe they do with a just not sure what happened in this particular case and I think you alluded to some of the reasons uh, but uh, the report still exists and what uh, that they certainly whatever happens uh, public accounts committee should call the individuals respective individuals back before and just ask them why uh, if they haven't followed the recommendations and i can't comment on that but if there's been any slippage what are the reasons uh, because th those are i guess it's well three years now so uh whatever happens the the board committee public accounts committee still have their own report that they issued and if there was not uh, if the department did not do what they said they were going to do. And I'm assuming that the department, and I don't know this for a fact, I'm assuming the department agreed with the recommendations of the, both the Auditor General and the follow-up recommendations from the committee. If they did agree, then there's an issue. I think we'll have to leave it there for now, but I want to thank you both for a very constructive discussion. I think. Um, uh, hopefully we can uh, provide uh, those that are working in this area or continue to work in this area with some food for thought on how to uh, more systemically uh, review recommendations and uh, follow up on them. Um, I want to thank you both. The Honorable Tom Murphy, former Member of Parliament and Chair of the Standing Committee on Public Accounts for the Commons, and Carol Bellringer, who is the President and CEO of the Canadian Audit and Accountability Foundation. Thank you both very much for your time. This has been a great discussion. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And I'm here now with uh, Marie-Soleil Tremblay, who is a full professor, professor of accounting at uh, the uh, École Nationale d'Administration Publique, which is the